Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. I know it's been cold, but thank you for the sunshine. And uh, we ask that you would continue to bless us. Bless all those um, uh, out west and up north that have been really struggling because of harsh weather. I pray that you would bless them and take care of them. And um, Lord, just continue to bless our church. Uh, it's your church, and we thank you for it. And uh, thank you for the way you're putting it together. And just ask you to continue to do that. And uh, thanks for all the people that you bring here and uh, help us to care for them well and um, we pray for those that we know who have not professed Christ that you would um, just open their eyes to the truth of the gospel that that you'd save them um, give them eternal life they'll follow you and we trust that to happen and for all those who are sick around us we pray you continue to bless them the ones that we've been praying for um, we continue to lift them up to you and uh, just ask that you take care of them. Um, everything that's on our minds and hearts, I pray you'd help us to clear uh, out um, the things that would distract us. And Lord, that um, you just help us to focus tonight as we talk about you. And no matter what the subject is, that's what we want to learn about is you. But I pray that you'd help us to do that. Forgive us of our sin in Christ. And we thank you that we, ha- we have the assurance of that forgiveness. And um, we so thankful for all that you do for us in jesus we pray amen all right chapter nine is entitled of free will so in case you're not familiar while we're joking around about this being such a heavy subject I mean really throughout church history I mean the entire reformation a lot of the reformation had to do with justice and sovereignty of God versus the free will uh, and choice of man and especially as you come a little outside of the reformation and you get to um, Calvin and those who followed John Calvin and those who followed Jacob Arminius um that split became even more apparent. And it's still evident today. And basically, the argument is, does man, by his own free will, free choice, choose to follow God or reject to follow, reject following God? Or is salvation based on God's free choice who makes man willing? And of course, here at this church, obviously we teach the latter, um, that... Um, salvation is by because of God so when we get when we get to the end of this world and we're in glory with God there's nothing about us that we can brag about okay we can't go man I'm glad I did that that got me here our all of our glory will be to God alone because of Christ okay so that's why we believe that and we believe the scripture teaches that but it doesn't mean that man's will does not is not important. The man's will doesn't play a part. And it also doesn't mean that we don't believe people have free wills. I think that's the what's usually laid against us is, oh, you're one of the people who don't believe in free will. No, I believe in free will. But I, I need to tell you what I believe about free will because I think the Bible teaches us something about free will. And... Um, well, and I believe it teaches us that we have a will, and it is free. 
but the problem is um, how that wheel can respond since the fall. All right, and so I love how the confession, you know, the confession, these men wrote this with a purpose. You know, it starts with the Word of God and then God and the covenant, and it moves. In fact, pretty much chapter 7 through 20 in the confession is based on the covenant. So here we are in chapter 9, and what we're going to find out is even the will of man, um, the Puritan theologians thought that the will, that God um, only spoke to people via the covenant. So if you're, if you hear from God, so to speak, or God, you're changed to believe that Christ is your Lord and he died for you, that's because of the covenant God made where he promised to save his people. And so you're a part of that covenant. In fact, when we see this section, which is chapter 9, um, section 3 speaks to fallen man's need for covenantal grace, and then section 4 speaks to the renewed man's exercise of the covenant of grace being applied to him. We'll talk about that some more later. But let's look at section 1 and read it together, and then we'll go forward. And then I, I want to make sure give you a chance to talk and ask questions. God has endowed human will with natural liberty and power to act on choices so that it is neither forced nor inherently bound by nature to do good or evil. So what this is doing right off the bat is striking down the charge that would say, okay, people like, I'm going to use me, I'm not going to use y'all, just say, People would charge against me. Well, people like you, you just believe we're a bunch of robots. And I couldn't do, I only had a choice, I only had a will to do evil until God saved me. Uh, and then it changed. But that's not what we really believe about free will. We believe that humans are free to do good or bad. But they're not bound to do either good or evil. That's what this section says, right? So... It's not correct to say we don't believe in free will because these are Baptists writing this and they're saying the human will, the natural liberty, and power to act on choices so that it's neither forced. In other words, what I'm saying, if you do something, you do it because you chose to do it. Now, that's not counting what influenced you to choose to do it. And that's what we have to get to. Because, uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking at um, uh, this commentary by Renahan from the Confession. And he makes a statement I think it's important for us to make too. Reformed theology never denies that man has a true and free will. He always and in every circumstance is truly free. But, notice what this first section says. It starts with God. God is the one who has endowed humanity with what they have. So everything begins with God. And it says he has endued him, which means he is granted. Well, let's say this is what the word endue means. It means to invest or endow with dignities, to invest with a power or quality. 
So you have a you have a will, and it's free. You can choose what you want to. So so as a Christian and as a Bible believer, I don't believe that you don't have a will to choose. Okay, so I want I want to make that clear because that's what people will say a lot. I, I mean, I've somebody said that to me recently. Well, I believe we have free will. Okay, I mean, I do too. I don't not believe that. And we'll get to why I can say that later because I do believe that. I believe what this statement says here. Men have been invested or endowed by God with dignities, with power or qualities, what it means. So God has granted to the will of man an ability to act in a certain way. But it goes on to say, um, this will has natural liberty and power to act on choices. So natural liberty means it will act according to its nature. It acts on choice. It can choose between different courses. And then it says uh, it has liberty. So not only does it have liberty, but it goes on to say it's not forced. And I think that's important to see. You know, God's not forcing us to do evil things when we do evil things. But it's also important to say he's not forcing us to do good things when we do good, when we get to that part. We'll see that too. In other words, God is not making us an automaton or a robot. Evil people aren't robots. Saved people are not robots. And I say evil in the respect that, I mean, people who do not know Christ. That's who we all were. We were considered wicked and evil, sinful. And now we're sinful, but we're saved, okay? So the Bible refers to us as something different. But, uh, so don't get, I just didn't want that to be mixed up, what I'm saying there. Um, but it says also, it's, it's not, um, it's natural liberty, it's not forced, and neither is it by necessity of nature or virtue of the state in which it was created. God didn't make humans who could only do good or could only do evil. He made us creatures who in creation can do either good or evil. And so this statement helps us to understand a characteristic of the nature of man. He is a free being. We believe in free will. Man is a free moral agent. One of our Baptist forefathers, Nehemiah Cox, said it this way, I do acknowledge that all men have a liberty of, of will or freedom of choosing with reference to those things that are proposed to them. I think it was Augustine who put it this way. Men are free, sentient beings. We are able to reason and think. I mean, that's one of the things that separates us from animals, right? Animals act by instinct. We reason. We should. We don't put our hand in the fire because we've determined that, that would not be good. Because we know the consequences. We don't stand in front of a car because we know the consequences. Obviously, animals don't understand that. You just ride down the road and see the animals don't reason that out very well. They're not capable of reasoning that out. But, so far, um, what do you think about this so far? Is it is it different than what you thought? 
Did you think I was going to get up here and say, we do not have free will? I, 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 I have concern about two words in this first section, by nature. Right. I know that I understand that the scripture would almost be something a little different. Yeah, I mean, Romans, Romans 3. Well, the thing is, what they're, what they're talking about here is creation. That in the garden, this is how God made man. <clears throat> By nature, he was neither um, good or evil. Now, what you're thinking about is we have inherited the, we have in, inherited the sin nature of Adam. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is evil. Yeah, right. Our, yeah, not only that, but what it's actually saying is that uh, we have the freedom. But this, the, what, what it's saying in the, the Romans passage is that uh, we will not exercise it in the uh, proper direction. Uh, and so the situation is that uh, it's not that we don't have free will. It's the fact that, that we are inclined not to uh, go God's direction. Uh, and basically, it's not, it's not a matter of God making us do that. It's a matter of right. that God uh, allows us to make choices. But basically, uh, what it's saying is that it's predetermined what we're going to do. Uh, and that was all Adam's uh Right. Well, and it's also it's how we can look in the scripture and see we can say God was sovereign over um, Judas betraying Christ, but God did not have to make Judas betray Christ because He freely chose to do that. But there was something in His nature there. But but basically, it was almost uh, almost impossible. For him not to do what he did. Oh yeah, it was, was impossible because it was decreed that he would do right. it. Right. But the Bible never charges God with making no, him no, do it. No, no, no. I understand. Right. Yeah. Because again, the nature he inherited from Adam was uh, bent and to towards to him. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we took out pieces of silver, it's just too much for him. Right. right. Yeah. If we took out the words by nature, I got no problem with the rest of it. It's just those two words in this particular section bring me a little. Yeah, they're neither forced nor inherently bound to do good or evil. If you took out by nature, but by nature, I think Scripture does teach our nature is inherently evil. Yeah, from Adam it is. Okay, but before so Adam it wasn't. About, yeah, okay. so that's what he's saying. Um, this is how God made man. And like, let me read it to you. That's the modern English. I'm going to read it to you from the, King, the original King James English, the King's English. It might help a little bit because the word orders are flipped. So. But it says, God hath endued the will of man with the natural liberty and power of acting upon choice, that it is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So in other words, when God made Adam and Eve, their nature did not determine what they were going to do. Yeah, and so right. What it is is they uh, they called it the age of innocence, but basically uh, it's actually the age of uh, of, of uh, testing. Right. So what happens is that uh, uh, that basically what happens is that. Uh, 
they were completely neutral. Uh, but yes. what happens is they, they uh, turned it to the wrong. Right. Well, and it does, in fact, our confession here refers to it as innocence because they were innocent in the fact that they, they had no knowledge of evil. Right. And um, again, going back to Genesis 3, I think that's what the warning was. They will know both good and evil because I think up until then they only knew good. Right. And so um, the sin brought that. And so, yes, but, you know, it's not, we can't say, for example, because a lot of people do this, in their sin, they want to say, well, that's the way God made me. Yeah. And, and it don't matter which sin. You can name whichever one. Right, right, right. Anybody want to say, well, that's the way God made me. No, in, in the way God made you did not uh, give you a bent toward doing what you do. Now, the nature of Adam, the sin nature that you were born into, that nature affects your will. And looking for, I think, the second section there kind of explains that a little bit. Yeah. Also, the situation is that uh, uh, as far as a child is concerned, a baby, uh, what happens is that uh, even on the changing table, <laughs> the, the situation is that uh, uh, they're, they're showing their... No, no. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and by in, yeah, and we don't we don't refer to that anymore. We wouldn't say we're innocent because again, we have the stain of Adam. In other words, just to explain, because I don't want anybody to be confused, the Bible teaches in in Romans chapter five that when Adam fell, he was considered by God the head of humanity. So he fell, and all of humanity fell, right? So then. The Bible is clear from there on. All of us are conceived in sin and brought forth in sin. So we have, a, when we're born now, and, and like Ken's saying, our little babies, they yell and scream and they don't get what they want because that sin nature is in there built in. You don't have to, they don't wait till they're eight to start sinning, in other words. Now, um, you know, we don't tend to look at it as, well, look at that little guy sinning right there. Well, I mean, we, we know babies do what they do because... Uh, different reasons, but it is true according to the Bible. Because of Adam's fall, and we all fell. That's why we all need redemption and redeeming. But just like Adam was the head of humanity, the new Adam, Christ, comes and he's the head of all of his people. Adam's the head of all of his people, which is all of humans. Christ is the head of all of his people, which is the church. And so uh, Romans 5 points that out. That by one man's sin, all fell. By one man's gift, many will be saved. Okay? If that helps make a little more sense. So when we're talking about the nature of Adam that we've inherited, this is a little different because what we're what they're saying here in the confession, they're making sure to point out God made man it from creation, from creation with a nature that wasn't bent to do good or evil. He had a choice to make. In fact, you'll see it. Go on in, in section two. Humanity in the state of innocence had freedom and power to will and to do what was good and well-pleasing to God. Yet this condition, now ours says, it was unstable. Um, the, the King's English says it was mutable, which means it's, it had the possibility of changing, right? So, and, you know, the Bible never tells us why God made this this way, how he made it this way. So I don't try to explain that. I don't think it's wise to. What we do know is that 
Adam and Eve were made in this, as I think it's correct to say, in a state of innocence, knowing only good, only knowing God and God's in uh, obedience. But there was a covenant of works. We believe there was a do this and live, but they broke it, and so they chose in their in this unstable condition, which doesn't suggest that God did something that wasn't right or perfect or good. But it was it was mutable. It was subject to change. So if humanity would have chosen good, then we assume that um, they would eventually attained um, righteousness and been saved. The thing is, though, that uh, God had an And I, I used to say it this way. I read it somewhere, and I think it's true. I think what you're saying, uh, uh, the cross, the cross didn't happen because of the fall. The fall happened because the cross was coming. Right. So God did have, but but what I was saying is the Bible doesn't. Exp- I mean, we look back and we can see that, but it doesn't explain to us how God made man on this footing where he could fall or not fall. So it, it's, um, and of course we know that he did. But um, I'm, I want to read what um, Renahan says here because I think it's good. Freedom and power to will and to do morally good uh, acts that were pleasing to God. That's what it says here in section two. Their actions both in heart and deed were upright. This is how we must view their obedience prior to the fall. Um, God made man upright and so capable of yielding perfect obedience to the whole will of God according to the covenant in which he stood related to him. Um, according to what's called the covenant of works. But he had potential to change. They were mutable. And so they did. And uh, as I just said, the confession doesn't seek to address the difficult question of how good a good being can fall. It simply asserts that he could fall. And so... Um, some questions, I mean, you know, I guess it'd be fun to talk through what we think, but sometimes there's just some questions that if we needed an answer, God would have put it. What's that Deuteronomy 17? The things that have been revealed have been revealed to you and your sons. You might obey the law, but the things that haven't been revealed, the, the secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things God didn't reveal, and so we ain't going to figure it out. You know, we can talk about it all we want to, but we're not going to figure it out. Uh, and sometimes it's fun to talk about, it, but but you know, and and that's what I'm trying to do here. I think what I think man's free will and how his will acts and reacts toward God has been revealed to us. And I want to get to why that's important because it is very important. Um, so let's look at the third section. So humanity, by falling into a state of sin, has completely lost all ability to choose any. Now watch this. He's lost any ability to choose any spiritual good that accomplishes salvation. Because see here again, this is what people say. So you don't even think I chose, you didn't think I chose what I put on this morning. Yeah, you did. You freely chose that. 
I mean, I think you freely choose anything. I think you will freely choose to disobey God and sin because you have a will that's free, but because of the fall in the state that you're in, you'll never choose spiritual good that accomplishes salvation. And again, here this carries us back to the, 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 the crux of the problem during the Reformation, and still this split is going on. Are you saying that man cannot act and be saved? And I'm saying yes. I'm saying if you are spiritually dead, which is what the Bible says, then by your free will, you're never going to choose to be alive. Because how do you make yourself... You can't choose to be alive if you're dead. And spiritually speaking, now what I'm saying is you can't by your own free will choose to believe that Jesus is Lord and that you can be saved and then you can look back and say, I'm saved because of what I did, right? That doesn't mean your will wasn't involved. It doesn't mean that you didn't freely choose to believe because you did. But it means it wasn't based on your free will apart from what God did. Does that make sense? Because you can't do any spiritual good that accomplishes salvation. So it goes on to say, thus people in their natural state are absolutely opposed to spiritual good and dead in sin, so that they cannot convert themselves by their own strength to prepare themselves for conversion. You remember we talked about the order of salvation one night? That seemed like it. What in the world are we talking about this for? But I think that's important here because there's predestination and election. And then at some point there was um, a, a calling, the preaching of the gospel, and there was a regeneration. Regeneration is being brought to life. Okay? So, huh? That's the first thing that happens to us. Yeah, first thing that happens to us. Yes. And we can't really see that. I can't go back and show you a picture of, look, here's when I was regenerated. But at some point, and again, spiritually speaking, I was dead to the truth of God. Does that make more sense? I think that's a better way to think of it. So if no, anybody could have said to me, hey, here's the gospel, the good news, that, hey, you're a sinner. We all are. But God did something to rescue you from your sin or forgive your sin and pay for it. He sent Jesus, his son. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. We've been talking about that, right? This is getting ready. This is building up to this chapter. Why did it matter that Jesus was sinless? Because we were not sinless. Why did it matter that he perfectly obeyed the law? Because sin is defined as a transgression of the law, but Jesus never transgressed the law. He kept it, so he has perfect righteousness. So if I believe in Christ and quit believing in myself, then I'll be saved. And what we're saying is that even with your free will, because of your spiritual state, you can't choose to believe that because you're dead to it. It's dead to you. It makes no sense. Your eyes are shut spiritually. People are just talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It makes no sense to you. What is it? Oh, I don't know. It's that time of year, man. I'm going to start coming out everywhere. But what we do believe, and, and I'm going to skip ahead here, and then I'm going to back up and read some stuff. Section 4. But when God converts sinners... In other words, he takes them from death to life, that regeneration, and transforms them into a state of grace. So now God has converted you from sin 
by grace, now you're in the state of grace, then look what he does. He frees from he frees them from their natural bondage to sin because of Adam, because of what we got from Adam. God frees us from that bondage that won't let us see, that won't because we're dead, we're we're bound, sort of speak, in chains and, and blindness. We don't hear, we don't see. But then God does something. He converts you and enlivens or awakens you. What what is it? Uh what does Ephesians 2 says? It quickens you. He brings you from death to life. And suddenly this makes sense. Oh, Jesus died for me. And so then, by, by, uh, where did I go? he frees them from their natural bondage of sin. And by his grace alone, so see, it's not involving your free will at this point. By his grace alone enables them to, and here comes your will, will and to do freely what is spiritually good. So again, it's not God, he didn't make you sin. And now by his grace, you're not a robot that, okay, now I will believe. No, he has enlivened you, quickened you, brought you from death to life. And now suddenly, by the grace of God, your will is to believe in God. So still your your same free will that uh, enslaved you to sin is now awakening you to believe in Christ. But it's by His grace. That's why we say grace is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. By grace through faith. It's your faith, but God gave you the faith. It's His grace. But notice this. Wait, it keeps going. To will and to do freely what is spiritually good. Yet because of their remaining corruption, they do not perfectly nor exclusively will what is good, but also what is evil. But this is glorious because before all you could will was evil, spiritually. Now you do have the ability to will good, but unfortunately while we're in this world, in this flesh, now we're willing what's right and we're willing what's wrong. Now it's always, it's always grace and not us. But God has done something to us <coughs> to make us different now. <coughs> so you see, that's why I would never say, no, I don't believe in free will. I absolutely believe in free will. Adam and Eve had no outside influence. Well, that's not right. At first they had no outside influence until Satan was allowed to tempt them. But they had no inside influence causing them to to choose what they chose. They were totally neutral. They were, uh, what does it say, mutable. But they freely chose to believe the lie and, and make another God, so to speak, and choose for themselves right and wrong, and they sinned and fell. For us, because of the sin of Adam, we are born with this nature now that is bent towards sin, doesn't mean that God, what God makes is not good. We, God's creation is good. But we have inherited the sin nature of Adam. So unlike Adam, now we do have something inside of us that attracts us to what is sinful. But yet and still, the Bible says, God doesn't tempt you with evil. You're tempted when you're drawn away by your own lusts and enticed. So there's your free will. You've got free will. But we choose 
opposite of God until God does something. So, this loss of ability to will which is good is what happened to us in the fall. Any spiritual good accompanying, accompanying salvation. So the Bible and Reformed theology never teach that man ceases to do things that might be considered good and even notable in humanitarian sense. In fact, that defies scripture. You can go back. There's two references here, one to Genesis 12 and one to Genesis 20, where an evil man chose to do good, not marry Abraham's wife and not defile her. Remember that? And Abraham, the man of God, was the liar. But the, the other man, in fact, God comes to that man in a dream and even says, I know that you chose to do what was right. And I didn't allow you to do what was wrong. And there's that, there's that, what's the word I'm looking for? For, for us, that conundrum or that, yeah, that, it, it, where God says, I know you, you did what, what in your heart was right. You didn't defile this woman. And I kept you from doing it. So it's the sovereignty of God and the will of man. And, and, and we never know. We, we, can't, we can't work that out in our mind, but we know that both are true. But they're not opposed to each other. And, I, and the will of man is totally rests in the sovereignty of God. I remember when I was younger, I heard this, and I thought it was brilliant, and I started quoting it, even from the pulpit, because I thought it was good. And I can't remember which guy said it. I think it was a Baptist. It might have been, I don't know. I don't want to credit somebody wrongly. But they said, well, the sovereignty of God and the will of man is like a railroad track. And they almost are parallel, but they're not. Somewhere out in eternity, they meet. And I thought, well, that's a good way. But what that was was a good way to dodge it. Because it's not true. The sovereignty of the will of man rests in the sovereignty of God. So they're not on they're not on opposite tracks, they're not parallel. One is dependent upon the other. So our wills are free and God is sovereign. They both work uh, the way God wants them to. But the point here being fallen man cannot convert himself, can't even prepare himself, because as somebody quoted earlier, the Bible's clear none seek after God, no not one. There's none right. There's none who have not sinned. So if none are seeking after God, then why are some of us seeking after God? Right? Because all of us, most of us could probably point back at some time and say, you know, there was a time in my life I just really didn't care about this. And then all of a sudden, I started sort of caring. Or God put somebody in my life and it, it made me start thinking about these things. And suddenly, I started caring about them. And then suddenly... I come to church or I started listening to them talking. All this stuff started making sense, sort of. And then started making more sense. What, however it happens, I mean, that's, that's the sovereignty of God, um, the will of man subservient to the sovereignty of God. He's not forcing you and making you into a robot. That He is using what, the way he has created you, and then you freely and willfully choose God. And so, uh, let's see if this is important. Any questions so far? Anybody anybody want to say anything? Comment? 
Well, let me read this to you because usually these guys can say it way better than me. So when God converts sinners, and that's what that section says, the Lord acts, he does very specific things. He frees man from the natural bondage to which he was subject to. He enables him really and truly to will and to do what is spiritually good. So suddenly, what is spiritually good? To believe in Christ. We couldn't do that before. Now all of a sudden, I do believe in Christ. And so again, you don't go around telling people, hey, guess what I did? I decided to believe in Christ. And you may do that to begin with because you don't understand this. So I'm not telling you if you've ever said that and you're a wicked, evil person. No, I, but at the, once you understand this, you would understand to say, what happened to you? Well, God converted me. I mean, God changed me. God did something, even if he can't explain it. And so um, I think that's important. And it goes on to give us this, um, section 5. Only in the state of glory is the will made perfectly and unchangeably free towards good alone. And I like the way this is written, and I wanted, I wanted to read this to you. Um, and that state of glory uh, is uh, after our... When we're with God. Right. Final glory. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yes, sir. And so, and he makes this statement here, the doctrine of man's will in these four states that are, four states of man's will that are pointed out in these few sections right here. The first state, man is able to do good and able not to sin in the garden, right? He's able to do both. But his will is mutable. In the second state, Man still has a free will, but only acts according to what man is, since in his nature he is now sinful, right? So we go from being able to do good and evil, to really choose, to really only being able to do evil because we can't choose good. But in the third state, because of grace, man can do, uh, man does good, but he still sins. So now we went from being able to choose whether to do good or evil to where we couldn't choose because the only thing we want to do is evil. So grace comes. Now we can do good, but we still sin, right? That's where we are now. But then in the fourth, by grace, glorified man does only that which pleases God. And he's not able to sin. So we go the choice, sin or not sin. Then only sin because of our nature. Then by grace, we can do good, but we still sin. But then when we get to heaven and we're with God, we only do good and we can't sin. You see that? Those stages there? I, th- I just thought that was super cool to look at that. There's kind of a symmetry or a mirror image between the second and the fourth states of humanity. Because in the state of sin, when you can do nothing but sin, the will is confirmed in unrighteousness so that we, get, we cannot rescue ourselves from our spiritual plight and return to God. Only an act of grace is able to grant salvation. That's what it said, Right? Then you go down to the fourth state. In glory, man's will is confirmed in righteousness so that we cannot sin. And in both cases, the will is free and acts according to the state of human nature. Now, I think that's important, and he points this out, because what a lot of people will say was, well, you can't say that you had a real free will if God made you believe. Well, then in the same turn, you won't be able to say, you can't sin in heaven and still have a free will 
right? So the point is, yes, we believe that we had a real free will. We just couldn't act on good because we weren't able to save ourselves or do anything toward salvation. And in the same way, when we get to glory, we'll have a real free will, but we'll only do what is good and we won't sin because we can't then. And God is free then and graceful then, gracious then. So he points that out. Some object to the idea that the fall caused total inability so that man's will only chooses sin and will not seek after God. So far as they are concerned, this makes man an automaton. In other words, that just sounds like God made a bunch of robots. But if that's true, then are we going to be robots in heaven when we can't sin? No. We're not robots then. We're not robots now. We're free. It's just that we choose according to our nature and according to what our, the way our will is bent. But when God saves us, it changes our will. Now again, in this overlapping of the ages, the age that is and the age to come, we live in a place where we can do good now because God has saved us and given us Christ in the mind of Christ, but we still sin. And though we have the will to do right and the ability to do right, we still choose sin. But there's a day coming when the ability to choose sin will be gone. Praise the Lord, right? And then we'll no, we'll no longer be able to do what is wrong, but only do what is pleasing to God. Because isn't that the frustrating thing here? I mean, it's exactly what Paul said in Romans 7. I want to do what's right, but I find myself doing what's wrong. Right? And it's a frustrating thing, but it's where we are as believers. And I think it's important. This keeps, I think this keeps us so humble. I should have brought, I should have marked that out earlier. Um, Romans chapter 7. Um, this is Paul the Apostle. He wrote 13 books in the Bible. And he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, this, every time I read this, it's just so pronounced and clear, right? I mean, this describes me as a believer in Christ so well. All of us. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Because the law says do this and live, and it's good, but I, I don't want to do this. Now, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So Paul believed he had a free will. He just said, I can't find it within me, the ability to carry out what's right. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. That's just a, a great passage to consider. But the difference is, hey, the difference is right there in that passage, he wants to do what's right. See, before Christ, we didn't even want to do what was right. We didn't care, right? But now, God has changed our will, and now we're willing to believe in Christ, and at times, we're willing to do what is obedient to Christ. 
and he can, he conforms our will to to his. Yes. He's transforming us from glory to glory.